You're listening to the free abridged edition of the Energy Transition Show. Nuclear energy, natural gas, energy infrastructure, solar power, wind turbines. It's the optimistic story that we've been longing to buddy here, and it's just not being told. Natural gas, oil, wind, solar, buildings, mobility, they're all starting to intertwine into one big tangled mess <laughs> that is full of opportunity. For December 7th, 2022, this is the Energy Transition Show with Chris Nelder. Welcome to part two of our two-part mini-series on Vermont's energy transition. This mini-series is the pilot of a new show format for the Energy Transition Show. Instead of exploring a particular topic with one guest who has a non-commercial perspective, as most of our shows so far have done, this new format aims to tell the stories about how the energy transition is proceeding in some of the places I'm visiting in my travels as a peripatetic podcaster. Through interviews with multiple local experts, including those who are working in the energy sector, we hope this new format will help to demonstrate how the unique challenges and opportunities in every place will determine its particular path through the energy transition. In time, I hope to tell these stories about places all over the world. We have decided to debut this new format with a two-part show about Vermont for the simple reason that, when it comes to the energy transition, Vermont stands out as a place that punches way above its weight. It has innovated numerous policies and mechanisms to reduce its energy consumption and energy emissions that have been emulated by other U.S. states, and it continues to serve as a model to the rest of the country for effective energy transition strategies. In the first part, episode 186, we looked at the history of Vermont's energy supply and how the state has worked to decarbonize it. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, we recommend that you do before listening to this one. In this second part, we turn to the demand side of Vermont's energy system to see what kind of innovative strategies they are using to reduce their consumption of energy and encourage demand flexibility in pursuit of a highly efficient, decarbonized, and reliable energy system. And now, let's return to the interviews, which I recorded in Vermont in October 2021. Many of the ways that Vermont is reducing its energy demand are the result of the state's energy and climate plans and of local plans developed in support of the state's objectives. The Vermont Natural Resources Council, or VNRC, works closely with local groups to accelerate the energy transition in their communities. I asked Johanna Miller, their energy and climate program director, to explain how they go about that. The Vermont Natural Resources Council, we're a state-based environmental education and advocacy organization. We're a membership-based organization. We do a lot of work from the local level to the legislature. We are really focused on shaping and advancing state policies as a way to drive change and making sure that we have a healthy environment and a strong clean energy and climate economy. So... In September 2020, Vermont passed its Global Warming Solutions Act with the legislature overriding the governor's veto to do so. That act seems to me to be quite bold relative to what the rest of the country is doing. Could you tell us a little bit about its objectives? Sure. Vermont has had statutory greenhouse gas pollution reduction goals on the books since the mid-2000s. We've made some strong progress in the electric sector to reduce our carbon pollution, and we have made less progress in other sectors, including transportation and thermal, which are equate to about 74% of the greenhouse gas emissions we collectively emit in the state. So 
there was a recognition that we needed to do more and we need to hold ourselves as a state to account. And so the Global Warming Solutions Act essentially sets up an accountability framework and operationalizes a focus on how we're actually going to make progress. And it creates a 23-member climate council that is supported by five different subcommittees looking broadly at how Vermont is going to not only achieve the pollution reduction requirements that the act lays out, but how we're going to do that in a way that also recognizes the importance of adaptation strategies and resilience and fundamentally a just transition. So how do we make this transition and do our part when it comes to climate accessible and affordable and equitable for all? So I would say fundamentally, the primary and the first target in the Global Warming Solutions Act is to reduce the state's gross greenhouse gas emissions 26% below 2005 levels. So we have a hard target to meet by 2025 and a lot of progress to make to achieve that target. And then we have to go further by 2030 to reduce 40% of the state's greenhouse gas emissions below 1990 levels, which is a much harder target to meet. Mm -hmm. It's ambitious and I would say necessarily ambitious when it comes to doing our part on the climate crisis. Johanna also serves as the coordinator of the Vermont Energy and Climate Action Network, or VCAN, a statewide network of more than 120 town energy committees and the partners who support them. And this network struck me as one of the most interesting energy transition efforts happening in Vermont because it delegates the responsibility for implementing climate action right down to the level of small towns. I asked her about it. So tell me about the NRC's efforts to mobilize Vermont cities and towns to create climate action plans. I hear that there are now more than 100 out of 251 towns in the state with climate action plans of Vermont. I mean, I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah, there's a very strong recognition of and commitment to deep public engagement and civic engagement. And out of the 251 towns in the state of Vermont, about half of those towns have these town energy and climate action committees. Most of them, they're appointed by their municipality to help the municipality themselves, as well as the people in those communities to reduce their energy consumption, transition to more clean, renewable energy supplies, begin to transform the transportation system, which is about 40% of our greenhouse gas emissions in the lovely rural state of Vermont, doing a lot of work in the home heating sector, trying to help people weatherize their homes. We have the second oldest housing stock in the nation and our beautiful homes. Many of them are leaky and wasting a lot of energy, which is costly for people's pocketbooks and also costly for the planet. So these community energy groups are really important partners, both to their municipalities and to the people in their communities in terms of helping identify energy saving, pollution reducing projects But fundamentally, they're also very important to the state of Vermont and our very strong climate commitments and really playing sort of a very important role in getting projects implemented on the ground, raising public awareness about the opportunity and the obligation to transition away from fossil fuels. So they're fundamental partners, and we really work in partnership with them and try to do what we can to support and strengthen their abilities to be partners. 
in Vermont, regions are required to develop what we call enhanced energy plans that lay out how they're going to help meet the state's 90 percent by 2050 total renewable energy goal. So regions are required to do that. Towns are enabled to do that. Some of the towns that do have plans like that are the bigger towns, like the city of Burlington has a very ambitious net zero goal. In my beautiful city, the capital city of Montpelier, we have a town energy committee and a commitment set by the city council for net zero by 2030. So there are a lot of different sort of commitments, some backed up by plans like Burlington. But although the state has given local municipalities a lot of agency to sort out the strategies that work best for them, ultimately all of the local plans come together in support of the state's overall objectives. Many of the strategies that those municipalities are outlining in their plans are really reflective of the broader state of Vermont's comprehensive energy plan and the climate action plans that have come before. We've had two climate action planning process in the state of Vermont. And really what those plans look at is the sectoral strategies that we need to embrace when it comes to the transition. And so it's looking at how we heat our homes, making them more energy efficient, giving people options for heating those homes with more efficient, clean technologies, whether that's heat pumps or advanced wood heat like pellet systems. Those plans are looking at transportation strategies related to vehicle electrification, vehicle charging infrastructure and strategic locations in those communities, looking at expanding bike and pedestrian infrastructure, looking at the opportunities to expand transit and move more people onto the bus to get where they need to go. Lots of those plans are looking also at things like broadband. So Mm. as we've all witnessed now in this pandemic, if we had broadband services and enabled people to work from home or to sort of meet virtually, as opposed to driving where they need to go, that has greenhouse gas emission and climate pollution benefits to it. And those plans are also looking at more clean, renewable generation to to power people's homes. So there's a lot of focus on solarizing public buildings, solarizing schools, solarizing municipal buildings like town halls and fire stations. And so they really run the gamut, and yeah. it's all in the sectoral approaches that we know we need to focus, which is transportation, thermal, heating and cooling, and the electric sector. And so there are a lot of different strategies embedded in all those plans. One of the most interesting and unique regulatory innovations in Vermont is that they created a separate utility dedicated to improving energy efficiency, known as Efficiency Vermont, or EVT, which is operated by a company called the Vermont Energy Investment Corporation, or VEIC. The concept of a megawatt, a watt of power that does not need to be generated thanks to efficiency measures, that was famously popularized by Amory Lovins in the 1970s, was a part of the inspiration for this new efficiency utility because it has been clear for decades that saving electricity by improving efficiency is always cheaper than generating more power. I asked Richard Watts, the director of the Center for Research on Vermont at the University of Vermont in Burlington, how VEIC came to be. In Vermont, and this happened around the country, the electric utilities resisted the megawatt electric efficiency concept. And they resisted it because it wasn't something they knew how to do. Mm. All their training, all the sort of thinking had gone into the way you dealt with next year's electricity need 
was you built another power plant. And you could put a ruler, famously, you could put a ruler on a piece of paper at an angle and project how much electricity you would need next year, next year, 7 8% growth. And that was true for decades. Decades. Yeah. And then comes the 70s and the energy crisis and Amory Lovins and others saying, actually, it would be cheaper and cleaner if instead of building a new power plant, you invested in helping people use less electricity. Right. Efficiency. Efficiency. Yeah. <laughs> and really good, thoughtful regulators at both the advocate for the public called the Department of Public Service and the regulatory body, the Public Service Board, were trying to help the utilities get to this place. And utilities were, were just not able to figure it out or do it. They might have been well-meaning about it, but it was just so counter to everything they did. That whole throughput model, too, of the more electricity you sold, the higher your rate base was just kind of like in question. So what you're asking me to do is sell less electricity. Mm -hmm. So Vermont did this really clever thing, and we leapfrogged that whole debate by creating the first in the nation statewide electric efficiency utility. Right. One mission, reduce ratepayers' electric bills. Mm. What are the lowest hanging fruit? What is the cheapest way to get there? And it started, I think, with industrial motors and light bulbs, helping customers pay down the cost of switching out their light bulbs. And through that, the efficiency of Vermont has saved literally billions of watts of electricity and also saved ratepayers tons and tons of money. It's not just that it's good for the environment or whatever. It actually saves individuals' money because you're lowering the overall right. cost to right. society of these of purchasing new power plants or whatever. Since he was instrumental in creating it, I asked Richard Cowart, a former commissioner and chair of the Vermont Public Service Board, Vermont's public utility regulator, about the origins of VEIC. We hope you've enjoyed this free sample of the Energy Transition Show. Our full episodes cover much more and are typically 60 to 90 minutes long. When you become a full annual subscriber, you'll get two new complete episodes each month, access to our entire back catalog, extensive show notes, interview transcripts, the text of the news items for each episode, and access to our exclusive job board. Your premium members-only subscription will work in all apps and players that support podcast feeds, including Apple Podcasts and Pocket Casts, so you can easily listen from your mobile device on the go. The first 33 episodes of the Energy Transition Show were free, and always will be, so if you want to see what our full shows contain, feel free to check those out. Then we hope you'll become a member and support our show. In order to bring you the most unfiltered, unbiased, honest information possible, we have elected not to take any sponsors or advertisers. The Energy Transition Show is entirely supported by listener subscriptions. To become a subscriber and enjoy our full offerings, just point your browser to energytransitionshow.com and click the Become a Member button. Annual subscriptions, which include full access to our entire back catalog of full-length episodes, are just $60 a year. Monthly subscriptions are $6.99 a month and give you access to the two most recent episodes. Single episodes can be purchased for $7 each. We also offer discounted annual subscriptions for individual university students and professors, as well as group licenses for companies, nonprofits, and universities. So join us today and support our ad-free podcast featuring high-quality, cutting-edge interviews and news about the most important story of our time, energy transition. 
Well, that's it for this episode of the Energy Transition Show. Thanks for listening. You can find our show archive and give us feedback and suggestions at energytransitionshow.com and follow us on Twitter at Transition Show. Chris Nelder creates the show, Kevin Melsheimer edits it and makes us all sound brilliant, and Justin Ritchie produces our listener experience. Mike Sugar composed and produced our theme music, and you can find him at mikesugarmusic.com. The Energy Transition Show is a production of the XE Network.